friend. I met him uh, in Earl Tyson's meetings in Williamsburg many, many years ago. I don't know how long. It's been 20, 30 years. Dr. Eugene Thomas. And the reason why I like him so much is because he was the pastor of Clarendon, the United Methodist Church. <laughs> and the organist of that church was the Congress organist. And so when that man played, and you get to the microphone, uh, it's very impressive. It's a large church. <laughs> and uh, and the, the, the thing that made me his friend is that he invited me to preach at Clarendon United Methodist Church. That's a lot of courage. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I, uh, I, I went to preach and uh, made a lot of friends that I'll never forget. And, uh, and it was privileged to be there with him and Amanda. Then they invite me to eat at a restaurant where all the senators and congressmen would come. And I ate the best filet mignon of my whole life. So, I can't forget Eugene Thomas. So, I present to you Dr. Eugene Thomas. Good morning, Ricky. Good morning, everybody. It is good to be here with you this morning. It's a lovely day here in our nation's capital. We're trying to inaugurate a, a new president here. And we have an interesting text before us, which we're going to look at and Play with a little bit this morning from the book of Acts. But first, let me have a prayer, just a moment. Pray with me, if you will. Lord Jesus, look with favor on our nation today. Save us from violence and discord and confusion, from pride, arrogancy, from every evil way. Defend our liberties and fashion into one united people the multitudes that have been brought here out of many kindreds and tongues. And do with the spirit of wisdom those to whom in thy name we entrust the authority of the government that there may be justice and peace at home and that through obedience to thy law we can show forth thy praise among the nations of the earth. The time of prosperity fill our hearts with thankfulness. In the day of trouble suffer not our trust in thee to fail. All this which we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Book of Acts, beloved. We are going to look at the 14th chapter, verses 8 through 20. That's my assignment for you today. The way that I choose to do it is to go uh, read, read portions of it and then at each portion, try to do a little exegesis, try to look at that, what that big word means is try to look at what the different words might mean or suggest. When we get through it, I'm going to then share some findings with you, looking back on the whole thing and talk about it that way. First in parts, then as a whole. So here we go. Verse uh, 8. There sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. Verse 1. Now there you are. That's the situation. This, this text opens to us with the story of a man who's sitting down, been sitting there, 
I cannot tell you how awful it must be to have a birth defect such that you cannot walk in your feet. I can't imagine a more horrible thing for parents to discover and, and to have to think about it in that day. This day is a little different. We have many, many wonderful medical procedures that can be done on all kinds of foot deformities with the birth of a child. But then, then, then there in Lystra, this was a different story. Whether it came from some kind of prenatal care he didn't get in his mother's womb, whether, whether it was some sort of a, a genetic thing, we, we have no knowledge of that. But warnings there to, to make us understand that what we do today has an impact on our children tomorrow. What might, what might have happened is, is hard to believe, but the situation was, was sad, sad. And along came the Apostle Paul. And in the very next verse, verse 9, we, we begin in 9 and 10, we, we, we find this. The same heard Paul speak and, and steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. End of story. This, this text begins with a miracle. Opens up and then closes with a miracle. But this one, we find what happens is a healing. Now this is a powerful healing. This is a miracle concerning a birth defect. In a human being who has never walked. That's the first aspect of this miracle. Not only are the bones reconstructed, if it was necessary, and it probably was, or shifted in a dynamic, miraculous way to a correction. That's one part of this miracle. The second part of the miracle is that he could stand this man on his feet and he could walk and leap. That's the second man of miracle. Because just because you have the equipment to walk doesn't mean that you can. You may have the equipment, but the knowledge of walking is a, a bionic thing that occurs in a human being. It takes a long time to learn to walk. And when you do, you've really learned something. And you can lose it with a stroke. We, we all know people who have lost that ability sometime to, uh, to, to manipulate their body. Because of a stroke. But this man instantly can walk. So you see, it's not only a miracle of a dynamic healing, but it is a dynamic awakening that he instantly is able to walk around and leap around. And that, brothers and sisters, drew a crowd. Now, whenever this happens, and it does, it has happened and does happen, that such miracles do occur. When they do, it draws a crowd. They're coming. They're coming to push in wheelchairs, bring in canes, bring in anything they, to, to get rid of them, to, 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 to get some help, some hope. Now, I want you to look at something else, too. There's power on the word listening. This man was listening in a different way. He was, in fact, absorbing the word of God as Paul was speaking. And as Paul observed, 
this listening. And you can do that. You can do that. Any preacher will tell you that in a, in a church or in any setting where you have a group of people, some people are hearing you. And some people are not. I don't know whether it's because of me or what, but the vast majority of places that I preach, many of the people don't, 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 uh, hear a thing I'm saying. They're usually laughing so hard to keep. <laughs> but you, you can't, you can't understand this unless you experience it. Then you will see somebody who is listening to you. Not listening to you, but listening to the word of God through you. You will see them. You can focus on them. Now this is what Paul does. And it's a dynamic of healing that, uh, this needs to be talked about as, as we roll over it. Because Paul begins to focus on this one who he detects has the faith necessary to cure his feet. It isn't, it, it, this is a theological issue here that he can bog you down as to whether he needs faith or doesn't need faith or has too much, or has not enough or whatever. The question is, God moves between the electricity of these two men in such a way as to create a condition in which there is a divine connection made in, in the sight of God that healing can occur and does occur. And Paul is so sure of it that his voice changes. He begins to take command. He takes uh, the healing power in the focus of the command. He, I mean, can you imagine? I don't know that even Paul had this much faith, but the faith of God in Paul made Paul say, get up in a loud voice and walk. You understand? Get up and walk in a loud voice and, and so that everybody heard what was going on. They heard it. They heard it. You remember when Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, one of the first things he does is heal a man with a withered hand in a synagogue. It's one of the first miracles. He got this withered hand. That too could have been a birth defect. I don't know. Probably was. But he got withered hand. And Paul and Jesus says, stick it out. Stick the hand out. Yeah. And everybody all of a sudden, my God, he's going to heal that man. Sure enough. And on, on the Sabbath day to boot. And he does. And he does. And see, in healing, there's a, there's a sense of authority necessary for it to accomplish its task. I, I, I got to back up and say, I don't know whether it's necessary or not, but sometimes it occurs that way. Sometimes soft-spoken healers work the same kind of miracle. I don't know. Most of them are gone now, but Catherine Kuhlman, I don't guess any of y'all, my God, that's aged myself, but she was a wonderful lady, very, very soft-spoken lady. But a, but a healer, a healer, power. Methodist preachers are, are, when they are ordained, the bishop is supposed to say, take thou authority to preach the word, uh, maintain order, and so forth. They, they don't say healing. But when you take authority, authority is a generalized thing. Most, most preachers don't realize the authority that they have, and I don't know, most of them, many of them do not. I didn't for a number of years realize that that there was authority in what I said. In other words, if someone came to me and and said, well, Reverend, I got these headaches and I declare they would kill me. If I said to her, well, let me just suggest to you 
that the Lord is going to give you some relief from that. Do you understand me? And they would say, uh, yeah, if you say so. Well, I say so. Okay. <laughs> I have taken the authority to, I say so. So I said so. And more often than not, just because I said so, it happened. It occurred that way because of nothing more than the knowledgeable uh, thing that happens when you when you utilize the power of suggestion. It's nothing more than that. I don't mean to say I'm going to cut God out of the process, but at the same time, I want you to understand that somebody telling you you're going to be healed is 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 has power in it. So they, Paul had that kind of authority. Now, if we move on to eleven, and when the people saw what Paul had done, why they lifted up their voices, saying in the speeches of the Lyconia, "The gods are coming down to us in the likeness of men," and they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. My goodness. Then the priests of Jupiter, which were before their city, brought oxen and garlands into the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities into the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all the things therein. Well, let me stop here and just take a moment to show you what's happened. Suddenly, because of this miracle that's taken place, the people that have observed it not only come from every direction, but the ones that are there are part of a growing, growing mob of people who are acclaiming what it is that Paul and Barnabas have done. Now, these are heathen people, see. There weren't any Jews, I don't think I read, in Lystra necessarily. There were some in nearby towns, Iconium and others, but not here. This is most heathens. And therefore, they had heathen gods, just like, Anybody else? They had they had Zeus, and they had Jupiter here, which is a Roman or a Greek, and they had them together, and they wanted they wanted to uh, uh, make this thing dignified for one thing, because right at the edge of the town was a temple, temple to Jupiter and Mercury. Now Jupiter and Mercury, we we didn't quite know for a number of years what this text really really could possibly mean. But they did some scratching around and digging around and they found out that the reason they called Paul Mercury was because Mercury was a lesser god than was Zeus or, or Jupiter. And they put that on Barnabas. Now, why would they do that? Well, that's the way that it was thought these gods visited the earth. They came along and the, the, the main god would stand off with his hands folded and a lesser God would do all the talking. In this case, Paul had been doing all the talking, so Paul must be Mercury. And then Barnabas, a big old quiet guy, well, he must be, in fact, Jupiter. 
If there's anything holy about this, they didn't understand anything other than that. Now, this is why Paul and Barnabas rent their clothes and went running after them saying, no, 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 no. Don't idolatrize me and Barnabas here because we are not that kind of, that kind of God. We represent the one God, see? You remember when Paul was in Rome on Mars Hill and all around through there? How they all, and at Athens, especially, had a, a multitude of gods. They didn't care. And Paul said, I preach the unknown God. Well, he's preaching in here. See? He's preaching this unknown God in a heathen place. Heathen place. Um, <clears throat> you'd be surprised. Uh, we, we really do have some, some pagans in the world today. They, they worship everything in, in the world. And, 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 and uh, they sent me a church to a church one time that did in fact have some some uh, weird kind of pagans in there. They really didn't believe in the Lord, and 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 I was a shock to them. You know, in other words, if you accept anything as holy, then you wind up believing nothing. And it's odd that today you you have people that will get in get in a, a place where they can't talk about Jesus because Jesus is just one of many gods, and if they Talk about Jesus. Well, my goodness, they'll offend somebody who likes Buddha, you know. So you've got all these, all these crowd of gods. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Where's Jesus? Oh, there he is. There he is. And we can't talk about him because talk about him. We can't talk about that. About that. This is a, this is a kind of a rig that you can wind up pulling, pulling if you're not, if you're an ox rather than a stallion. That is to say, you need to know who you belong to. You need to know who's in charge of you and have the common sense to express it that way. Now, if we move on, the priest came with oxen and garlands on verse 13. The priest of Jupiter, which was before that city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice for the people. Verse 14, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, Sirs, why do you do these things? We are also men of like fashions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. Verse 17, nevertheless, he left not himself as a witnesses, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these things, scarce restrained they, the people, that they had not done sacrifice unto them. All right. You see how that tumbles out? How, how it is that, that suddenly they're being worshipped like they're gods. And even the priest of the Heathen temple come with a ox. He used to take an ox and make his horns gold or gilded and bring him out and sacrifice him. They were going to just go to town there, boy. I mean, they were going to have a another way, to, another day to have a church picnic right out there. And then they could hardly restrain them. They, they were just going up and down about him and loving him and loving Paul and Barnabas. Uh, a, a riot there. And there came. All of a sudden, Jews, see, 
Now, they, they get a bad rap here sometimes, but you want to understand that these were not hometown boys. These were from Antioch and Iconium, out of town. And, and they were important because they were speaking to Paul and to this crowd. And they persuaded the people. They had power of persuasion. They turned that mob from wanting to, to worship Paul and Barnabas to wanting to throw them out of town and stone them. It's just that quick. Just that quick. And, and people are like that. People are, people are like that. You know, um, they go from Hosanna with Jesus and palm branches on the road, loving him, loving him riding on a donkey, to crucifying him on a cross and standing up in front of Pontius Pilate and telling the crowd and telling him to crucify the master. And they stoned Paul. Now, here's the second miracle at the end of this thing. Take him out of the city, dragged him out, stoned him to death, supposing he'd been dead. But, the 20th verse says, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Isn't that something? <laughs> that's the, that's the, the, the tale gonna on this, on this, this passage is the miracle of Paul just getting up off the ground, having people that have thrown rocks at him. He made it. I don't know what he did. I don't know how this worked out. Oh, I can't. I, I tried to kill a possum one time. I, I'm sorry I ever did it. I think about it often. Possum is a wonderful animal. He has the ability to think like he's dead. It's an, uh, it's something to see. And I I, I, I I knew that possum was in the middle of the road and he was faking, see? Because when they do, they, they hold real still and they you, you can't move them for nothing. And I watched that possum playing dead. Maybe Paul was playing possum. <laughs> I don't know. It seems so ridiculous to think about it. But somehow he eluded that death. <clears throat> I rather think, though, that it was a miracle. Just as profound as the first one. A miracle where Paul received his punishment, but took his healing at the same time. That the rocks became feathers, that they fell out of the sky like popcorn. You know, a priest one time was a priest in a nunnery where there was a bunch of nuns in the convent, and they used to confess to the priest every week. And the priest, somebody asked, "Well, what is it like to be a priest in a convent and have these nuns confess to you?" And the priest said, "I tell you, it's like being stoned with popcorn every week." <laughs> They throw things at me that's so light and so such like feathers. And it makes nothing wrong with these nuns. And it's nothing wrong with Paul. Somehow he received those rocks with all the levity of popcorn. Well, that's that's the tale here between the two miracles. The tale between the two miracles. <laughs> well, that's a wonderful text. I love it. And I just a few comments on it. It's not only me that loves it, but I looked back in newspapers.com. It's a app that will <clears throat> let you look at all the newspapers that have ever been written. And you put things in the search engine and then it looks, it turns up, um, 
anything about a particular subject you want to read. And I put Lystra in that thing and hit the return, and up popped Sunday school lessons in newspapers in the middle of the 19th century. And, and uh, no, not the 19th, 20th century, 1925, 1935. There are a good many newspapers in which this text was used by preachers for the weekly Sunday school lesson. And, and that's another way you can study the Bible. Is to, you look at it through the newspaper. Karl Barth said, preach the word with the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. Well, we've got access to all the newspapers now, and the search engines will find whatever we're looking for. The other thing I wanted to tell you, I said there's some morals in it, too. A couple, couple of you ought to be cognizant of. Nothing is more fickle than the applause of a crowd. You ought to remember that. It's a fickle thing. Fame, working with the ministry, is a uh, something you don't want to court. I'm going to tell you. Uh, and John Wesley said, a popular preacher is dangerous. He, 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 didn't, he didn't believe that his preachers should be popular. If they were popular, there was something wrong with them. They weren't speaking to sin. They were nothing but what he called gospel preachers. You can just gospel your way all along. All day long, gospel, 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 love, 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 and you won't be worth five cents. See, because all you're doing is sort of, sort of, sort of, sort of moralizing your way toward popularity. No, you gotta scold people sometimes. And when you do, they ain't gonna like you for it. They gonna want you to move. And you gotta have a system that'll take care of you if you're a powerful breach. And the system that takes care of us is a Methodist system. I'm sorry to say this, but we're supposed to be just like a state trooper. In other words, if you don't, don't like what we do, we'll move right along and another one take place. And it may be better than the one you got, see? So that, that always gave us power. Now we, we want to be popular. We want to stay a long time. You know, well, never mind. Yeah. Another thing. If you, uh, if things go wrong, things will go wrong. Even if they're going right. That's a good word from that. Things will go wrong even if they are going right. You can have a big crowd. You can have a lot of money. You can have a wonderful, wonderful choir. And all these things can be going right. And all of a sudden, something will go wrong. Things will go wrong even when they're going right. So you have to be on your toes. You have to stay close to God. You have to pay attention to what you're doing. Now, here's the third thing. Third little lesson is what I call grow. Nobody's going to have a life free when somebody ain't going to throw rocks at you or roll you over and take your money. Sometimes it's just going to be a hard, hard road to hoe in life. But from those things, you grow. So Paul was a mature Christian. Peter, by the way, it needs to be said that some, some scholars think that this whole passage right here, of Paul and the man with the bad feet and Barnabas and all that is trying to get Paul as much press as Peter has in the first part of Acts. Because the same thing seems to happen to Peter. You know, he heals a man with bad feet. Peter and John, silver and gold have I none in the first part of Acts. Now they've got to catch up with Paul. So they're looking back on that and remembering instances where he did the same thing. It's sort of Sort of, sort of creates a competition between them. But that's scholars. You know, I want you to have it. 
you got it, throw it out of the corner. I don't care. Now, finally, grow, growth comes when you get knocked down over and over. You grow, you grow. And, and what you do with that is you, you, you think of it as an acrostic. G-R-O-W. Go means grow. The G there means go. Put O by the G. That's always go. Sometimes you just have to go. You have to go away. You have to move. You have to do things that that will enable you to survive and grow. You have to do the right thing. That's another thing. It's possible to do the wrong thing by trying to be uh, popular or work things out. Sometimes you have to, and you have to own to it, and you have to work it. G-R-O-W. Go, and then write, and then own, and then W is working. See? Keep right on working. Paul didn't stop. He went right on to Derby, right down that Roman road, right on into Derby, continuing the work of the Lord, taking that wonderful Barnabas with him as a sidekick at this time. Well, I think I'm done on this. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. I had much fun. You can tell I had a lot of fun with this text. It is a lot of fun. There's a lot of power in it, dude. A lot to learn from the thing. If you don't learn but one little thing, and you've done well. God bless you all today. Thank you for letting me come to be with you wherever you are today. God bless you. Bye-bye. He gives the joy of his salvation. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. As I watch the world around me, I can see his mighty hand Delivering his people From the evil in this land The wounded and the broken From the seed of Abraham And led them through the wilderness Into the promised land